So we're in a series uh, in Mark where we've just started. We're in chapter 2. And uh, we're asking this question as we read the series, as we read through Mark together. Who is Jesus? Who does the gospel of Mark show us that Jesus is? And tonight, as you're reading through that, I hope that you'll see at the end that the answer, at least through tonight's passage, is Jesus is the one who saves sinners. And I don't want you to forget that. I don't want you to miss that tonight, that Jesus is the one who saves sinners. And also, as we're reading tonight, I hope that you will be on the lookout for people's response to Jesus. Because at the end, I may ask you to consider, where are you tonight? How do you respond to Jesus, the Savior? So as we pick up in chapter 2, we we know from our prior reading that Jesus' popularity is growing. And the crowds are coming to him. And and they've been coming to him wherever he is. In fact, Mark chapter 1 tells us that they're coming from everywhere, from every quarter. And and then they're growing exponentially because a lot of things. But, I mean, Jesus is healing people. And he's teaching with an authority and an an ability to explain that people have never heard before. They they want to get more of it. They want to be close to him. And even people of, of, of ill repute, he's welcoming them to him. And so Jesus is very unlike any of their other teachers. So people are coming to him, and he's gone back home. We saw last week he's gone back to the, to the Galilee region. And while he's there, the crowds kind of storm the house that he's at. Or they, they come to the house, and they fill up the house. And, uh, and there's so many people around this house that you couldn't get up to the door to hear him or to see him. And so uh, we learned last week that uh, some industrious four young men, they jumped up on the roof, they tore up the roof, and they let down their friend who was paralyzed to Jesus. And Jesus, at that time, he not only healed the man's paralysis, but he addressed his even bigger problem, his sin problem. And last week, the teaching was very clear that Jesus is the one who has the authority to forgive sin. And so as we pick up tonight, um, obviously we can't have houses being torn up all the time, you know, who's going to invite Jesus over because people keep storming the house, you know, tearing down the roof. So Jesus is going out by the sea to preach. And I thought about that a little bit. That's probably a good place to preach. You know, you can put your back up to the water. People can't get behind you. I like that. I don't really like a lot of people sneaking up on me. And uh, he's able to speak and there's room and nobody's house gets torn up. So this is a good thing. So Jesus is out and he's going back and forth to the sea and he's teaching by the seaside. And so as he goes along the road, uh, Mark 2 tells us, verse 13, one day as he's going along the road, he sees Levi. We would also know him as Matthew. Most people would say that Levi is is also Matthew, the, the writer of the gospel, Matthew. And he sees him sitting there at a tax booth. So um, you should know this about Levi. Uh, he was not well-liked. He was um, a tax collector. And I mean, I know that, you know, even in America, we don't necessarily like tax collectors, but, but what his job was, was even uh, worse than what we could imagine because he made his living off of the money that he could extort above and beyond the tax that was due. So as people would go back and forth along the road, possibly and probably uh, from Capernaum to the Sea of Galilee, he would stop the businessmen and the people and inspect their goods and extract a toll or a tax. So that made him, obviously, he's not a, a popular person. You know, and I recall back when we lived uh, in Central Asia, I'll try only to talk about that twice tonight, but there's so much parallels in many ways to uh, biblical experience and culture. 
Um, when we were there, we would frequently be stopped by the police. And uh, they would always come up to you, and, and half the time I didn't understand what I had done wrong, and probably half the time of that I didn't do something wrong. But you would get stopped anyway. And uh, we had the yellow license plate. They always would stop the foreigners, and then and they would say, you know, this is what you did, this is your fine. And I remember one day I was stopped, and, I, and that guy said I made a wrong right turn, and I said, well, how much is the fine? And he said, besh, five. And I thought, finally, a policeman without guile. Here's a guy that gave me a reasonable fine because that was, you know, about, I don't know, 20 cents, 15 cents, maybe a little less than that. And they said, no, best juice. <laughs> no, that's 500, you know? And that was a completely outrageous fine. I talked to some of my local friends and they said, 500? There should never be a 500 some fine. That's ridiculous, you know? Well, that's what Levi was. He was an extorter. But it, it gets a little worse because he didn't, just extort to enrich himself, he worked for the oppressing, occupying Roman army that was keeping the Jewish people down. And they hated the Romans. So here is Levi, and he's taken this course in life. He's decided the best way for me, Levi, which by the way, he probably, he may have been from the tribe of Levi, the, the priestly tribe. And he's turned his back on God and his people, and he's taken this way to self-enrichment at the expense of his own people and in the help of his people's enemy. That was Levi. He was like, um, I mean, it'd be hard to underestimate how much disdain people had for him, right? He was probably like the Bernie Madoff of Israel, you know, or at least he was in line, you know, he was a lackey for the Bernie Madoff of Israel. So it's hard to imagine how bad people's opinion must have been of him. But it's not just that. He was also considered morally unclean, so he's separated from the faith life, the religious life of Israel. Um, there's a, a, a saying, an oral Mishnah saying, that said that you couldn't accept any kind of alm or gift from a, a tax collector because it would make everything else unclean because, you know, reasonably they would understand that how do tax collectors there get money? Well, they steal. Or they extort. So you can't accept it. So he is cut off from the life of faith, more than likely from family. And the only people that he could probably be friends with were other tax collectors or other people of severe ill repute. And that's who was sitting there at the tax booth that day. And so as Jesus passes by, and he's been doing these wonderful things that we've talked about, and he's clearly a man from God. The people knew that. And he's proclaiming that God's kingdom is coming. I'm just wondering, why is Levi sitting there? Why does he stay seated as Jesus passes by? And I, I spent a little time thinking about that this week. Uh, if we've read the whole story, so you know that he doesn't remain seated. At one point, he gets up and goes. Why didn't he go sooner? Why did he wait? I, I think it was because he probably thought he was beyond the ability of God to forgive. I think he probably thought, how could this holy teacher have anything to do with a guy like me? That's what I think. I think he sat there regretting the decisions that he'd made ever how long ago, thinking that he was locked into this for the rest of his life, that there was no hope for him, that God could never help him and people would never forgive him. And so he sat there 
He's feeling a million miles from God, even though the Son of God is just feet away. Maybe you feel like that tonight. Maybe you have decisions in your life that you think God could never forgive you. You know, maybe, you're your Christian, but you know you've turned your back on God in many areas. And you wonder, could God forgive me? Or maybe you're, a Christian, you're not a Christian and you're just here tonight checking out the church, checking out Christianity, wondering what it's all about. And, and you have a conviction, a, a sense that things are not right between you and God, but you just don't know. Could God really put things right in my life? Could he really forgive me and bring me into relationship with him? And that's a great question to ask because as we sit and as we see Levi, he's sitting there, sitting at the tax booth. But we don't leave him there and Jesus didn't leave him there. Because we know, we've read, Jesus said to Levi, follow me. And what does the Bible say? He got up and he followed. If you're wondering if God can forgive you tonight, I can tell you that the same call for Levi, Jesus would extend to you if you would hear him. Let's come to him tonight. Turn from sin, the choices you've made, and hope and faith in Jesus. And so Levi gets up and he follows Jesus. And then Mark takes us straight to a feast. He doesn't give us a lot of detail. That's Mark. He's always kind of jumping straight to the next action. Not a lot of explanation on what's going on in between. And so we see uh, in verse 15 that as we read, uh, Levi is reclined at the table in his house. I always put a V in there. I don't know why. At table in his house. And many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples for there were many who followed him. And we know that this was a great feast, in part because the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew also describe it, and and Luke tells us, he threw a great feast for Jesus, a feast to honor Jesus, a feast to celebrate what Jesus has already done for him. Okay, Levi wants to celebrate this new life that God has given him. And I'm going to ask you, when we receive the Gospel, if you're a Christian, do you recall yeah, probably if you're an adult, do you recall the waves of guilt rolling off? Do you recall the feeling of peace, the, the knowledge of forgiveness that you've got when you first believed the gospel? Well, that's what Levi's experiencing here. So he wants to celebrate, and rightly so, he wants to celebrate with the one who has freed him, the one who has forgiven him, Jesus. And so we would stop right there and we would observe that when people really hear and respond to Jesus... They respond with love. That the gospel, first of all, produces love in a person's heart for God. And that's important. So he's having this celebration. Uh, and I'm sure it was customary there for the guests to kind of lay down beside the table. And I will go back to my experience overseas. Um, I have to tell you that I like a chair better. Sorry. It's more comfortable. It's uncomfortable to me to lay on my elbow and stuff. But you, lay, you do the best you can, right? You lay and the, the cushions are all around and the food is kind of laid out before you and you share and pass and talk. And what I can tell you is that these celebrations, any kind of celebration in a hospitality culture that values uh, relationship more than efficiency, which would be a challenge to all of us probably, uh, is uh, going to take a long time. The feast isn't prepared quickly and it doesn't go quickly. I can recall we had a Kyrgyz friend who invited us over. And the first time she invited us over, she said, what time do y'all normally eat? And I said, about five. And I, you understand that my English, uh, my Kyrgyz was not very good and her English was not very good. So it sounds more smooth than it really was. Uh, but it, we, we eat about five. And so we went over 
I think they started about 4.30. And, and the food just kept coming. And we were eating and talking and, and listening and eating. And neighbors stopped by. And, oh, these are our friends from America. And we're eating and eating. And about 8.30, I've been there four hours. And I'm ready to go. I've, I've had enough, you know. And my kids are tired. And they're much younger now. They, you know, and uh, younger then. And so um, we, we, like, leave. And so our same friend, you know, asked us back many times over the time that we were there. And I recall one time, finally, she said to us, you guys are doing so great. It's only, it's 1030. You've stayed till 1030. One of these days, we're going to get you to stay all night. You know, and I'm like, it's never going to happen. <laughs> but this feast takes a long time and people are celebrating, you know, and Jesus is there. Can you imagine what it must be like to be at a meal with Jesus? How wonderful. You know, he's welcoming these people. People that would think, how could Jesus ever welcome me? He's welcoming them. See, God's at work in Levi. Now, Levi could have said, uh, Jesus, thanks for saving me. Um, I want to have you over for a meal. You can bring the disciples, but I have lots of questions. I really want to talk to you about this. You know, it'll be a little private affair. You know, just us in the dining room. We'll talk because I have lots of questions, you know, but he didn't do that. What did he do? He invited his friends. Of course, they were tax collectors and other notorious sinners. When, when Mark records sinners here, he means people that were clearly outside moral acceptability, you know, other thieves, murderers, adulterers, people that clearly broke the 10 commandments. You know, they're not just ceremonially clean. They are just rejected. He invites them. They come and Jesus receives them. And when Jesus receives them, he's saying that that I I will accept you to them. Not just to them, but to the community that's around. So as this feast is going on, that's being communicated. But I just want to point out to you again that when we receive the gospel, another thing that happens, and when we remember the gospel again, if you've been a Christian since you were a kid, you know that you ebb and flow and passion and just basically even appreciation for the gospel. It's our human condition and appreciation for the grace of God. But when you remember again how gracious God is, you want to tell people and you want to invite your friends. And so we see that this is true conversion in in Levi's life. He's invited his friends. He loves Jesus. What did Jesus say? If we're going to sum up the whole law, if we're going to sum up the whole law, we could sum it up in this. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And here we see Levi, who's a big lawbreaker, now living out the law from the heart. The gospel changes us. Jesus saves sinners. He changes us. And so there's a great feast. And Jesus is there. And if we move on to verse 16, we're going to see that the party continues on, but not without problems. Not without problems. Because as the party's going on, the Pharisees catch up. to the, um, Now they don't come inside because that would have made them unclean according to their rules, their um, overly strict interpretation of God's law. So they don't go inside, but they show up outside, and, um, and they ask, and here's what they say. Why does he eat? They ask the disciples. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And this is our first encounter, at least officially, with the Pharisees. And so they would have been um, people that more strictly interpreted the Scriptures. 
They took very seriously ceremonial cleanliness laws. And not just that, but also their oral traditions where if God said, you may go this far and no further, they would back up 100 yards and say, well, we're not going to get any closer to the fence because we don't want to inadvertently sin. Okay? And maybe we could laud the, um, the desire not to sin, but the execution certainly fell short in the Pharisees' case. Because anytime guys were more strict than God, we know that we're running the risk of being a Pharisee. So we want to watch out for that. Okay? So they show up and they say, why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? Because to them that must, how could Jesus be a holy person? How could he be a teacher and, and do this? Okay? But they don't go in the house. And they ask, you, uh, they ask the disciples the question. And it, honestly, it doesn't seem like the disciples have an answer. Well, at least they don't give one. Now, why they ask the disciples first, I don't know. doesn't say. I'm just guessing probably Jesus is inside at the party. And the Pharisees show up and he might be like, hey, go f- find out why they're here. <laughs> no. Well, why, you know, or maybe they just go out. What, what are you all here? And, and, he tell, and uh, they tell him. Okay? So the disciples don't have an answer. And it could be that they just didn't get it yet. Because that happens a lot to disciples like us or like them. There's a lot of times we don't really get what God's doing, you know. But maybe they don't get it. Or maybe they kind of get it and they kind of don't like it yet. Because, you know, at least four or so of these disciples worked in, you know, fishermen, right? What road are they going up and down all the time? Not a road to the sea. What road is Levi and probably some of his buds on? Yeah, the road to the sea. Who's always extorting these fishermen? Well, Levi. Maybe they don't get what Jesus is up to yet. Or maybe they don't quite like it. I'm not sure. We'll see. So they don't answer. But then we find that that Jesus does answer. And and before we get to that, though, I want to look at the question that they ask. How can can you be eating with these tax collectors and sinners? And I want to note, first of all, that it's not really a question. Okay, let's kind of pay attention to three things about what they said. Even though it's written, why do you eat? Why does he eat with Sinners and tax collectors or tax collectors and sinners? That's not really a question. That's like if I said to my kids, why did you eat the last cookie? I don't really want to know why they ate the last cookie. I'm just telling you, I don't like the fact that you ate the last cookie. And once again, Luke helps us out a little bit because he said that when they came up to Jesus uh, or to the house and questioned the disciples, they were grumbling. So this marks kind of a beginning of a conflict Um, or at least a recognition of the conflict that Jesus is going to continually have with the religious leaders because he keeps breaking their overly strict interpretation of these ceremonial laws because he loves sinners and because he saves sinners. And so this is kind of our first uh, hint of the conflict that's going to come. So first of all, it was an accusation, okay? Jesus is wrong. He shouldn't be here. He said he's holy. He's teaching the law. How can he be with these folks? They're going to defile him. They're going to contaminate him. They're going to make him unholy. The second thing that we would want to note about their question is that it kind of reveals the Pharisees' attitude towards sin. Okay? Their attitude is that sin is um, something external to me. Okay? And I can manage it with boundaries. Um, and, and as, you know, my actions are important, but my heart doesn't seem to be really all that important to them. Like why you do what you do doesn't seem to be as important to the Pharisees as that you did something. So they put these boundaries. I, I kind of think they have a walking dead theology of sin. Have you seen the walking dead? 
It's like, I think it's like four or five years old, so I'm not going to spoil anything. If you haven't seen it by now, it's too late. I'm gonna, but I'm going to tell you a little bit. Okay? So The Walking Dead then starts off with some virus that infects the whole world, turns lots of people into zombies, and there are survivors, though. And those survivors spend most of the first season trying to isolate themselves from zombies and the potential to be infected. They, you know, they're, the zombies are violent, and if you get bitten, you know, you get this virus and you die. And it's toward the end of the first season, spoiler alert, that, that, they, that you know everybody has the virus. They're already, you're already infected. It just hasn't you know, manifested itself yet. You haven't become weak enough. Everybody has the virus. And see, the Pharisees have just the same mistake. They think that by isolating themselves from sin, that they can head it off at the past. But the reality is they're already infected. It's a heart issue. They've already got the sickness. And I think the last thing that we can take from their question is that, is that they probably had short memories. <laughs> they might have been a little thick. Because Jesus, I mean, we just talked about it last week. I almost had a short memory. I forgot about it until earlier today. We just talked about it last week. What did Jesus do? He healed a man who was paralyzed after he told the man what? Your sin is forgiven. Jesus then said, I'm going to heal this man so that you know that I have the authority to forgive sin. Jesus' mission is to save sinners, and he's not letting it be ambiguous. He came to save sinners. That's why he calls, well, grace and compassion and illustration. That's why he calls a chief sinner, a tax collector, so that none of us and none of them should be in any doubt that Jesus saves sinners. So let's look at Jesus' answer. What does he say? Those who, have, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, they're the ones that need the doctor. I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Sick people need doctors, guys. You know? I'm here to call sinners. The doctor helps the sick people. I save sinners. It couldn't be any more clear. Jesus saves sinners. And the Pharisees don't really like that answer much, I'm guessing. And um, Mark doesn't tell us this, but, but Matthew tells us that Jesus also gave him a little, little bit of instruction. He said, and by the way, guys, on your way out, I, can, I think Jesus could be sarcastic. When you go back, scribes, you are the guys that are studied in the law, the Bible. When you go back, find out what this means. And he quotes Hosea 6, like verse 6. And you go back and read it. He says, I desire mercy not sacrifice. And when you go back and read the whole passage that he's quoting from, it's clear. God says to the people of Israel, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your heart. And see, that was the problem with the Pharisees. They thought by obeying God, they could bring about God's acceptance of them. And Jesus says, it's because of my acceptance of of Levi, the sinner, that he's actually going to live and obey God. There's all the difference in the world. And so I hope you've been listening and thinking through the different responses to Jesus as we've talked tonight. Because I I saw three. It's possible that you can hear about Jesus, but because in your own eyes your sin is so great, you could remain seated at your booth. Whatever it is that holds you down, that makes you feel that God could never forgive or accept you, it's possible that, that that could be your response. 
Or it's possible that you could sit here and think, I don't really need Jesus. I follow the rules. I'm pretty good. I mean, I mess up every once in a while. But, but I'm not that great. I mean, I'm not that bad. And you could be standing against him. Or, and this is where I hope we would all move, you could celebrate the new life that Jesus gives at the feast with him. So where are you tonight with Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? Mark says he's the son of God, the one that saves sinners. I agree. What do you say? Let me pray for us and then we'll be done. Father, we just uh, lift up our hands to you today and worship and praise that you are so gracious and merciful that you sent your son, Jesus, and that whoever would truly trust and believe him would have eternal life, that would start now, that you would change our hearts immediately and create in us love for you and love for others. So we praise you tonight for that, Father. We praise you for your goodness and graciousness to us in Jesus. And I, I pray, Lord, that there are people tonight that are struggling to believe that you could ever forgive them, that they would, would believe what your word says is true, that, that you, Jesus, came to save sinners. And I pray that if, if we're just checking out Christianity tonight, Lord, that, that, that you would convict us that, that we actually don't live up to your standard and we do need the forgiveness that you offer. So, Lord, glorify yourself tonight. Thank you for this time that we've had together. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.